I'm thankful our mission teams shared some today, and there's always more stories to be told. I'm so thankful when you go on mission trips uh, that you arrive and you realize that you didn't bring God with you. God was already there doing his own mighty work. You just had a chance for a period of time to join in that work. And when you go back home, he doesn't leave them either, though he does certainly come with us and is with us whichever place we are. Uh, there was a struggle going on in the disciples' lives. It was the time after the resurrection, that is, after Jesus came back from the grave, but before he ascended into heaven. It had been a confusing time for the most part because Jesus would just appear when they were together without any kind of warning, no announcement he'd be here today, uh, just come through the wall, however he got there, and then he would disappear as mysteriously. That went on for a period of time. This story happens in that interval. Uh, but the struggle was that the disciples kept wanting the same thing. They kept wanting for Jesus to come back and kind of pick up where he left off all along. They were comfortable that way because he would teach them. He would do the miracles and they would kind of do whatever he asked all along and enjoy seeing the fantastic things that he could do. But now... As he met with them, often he talked about the time he would be gone, and they were wondering what's going to be next. Now, our story today, as John tells the story, is the disciples have gone to Galilee. Jesus has not appeared to them at this point there, and they're waiting. And while they're waiting, Peter said, I am going fishing. You know, it was his trade, along that with several other of the disciples, seemed very natural. Simply to go back to try again what he had done for so long. It's sort of like we may be when we have crisis in life that interrupts our routine. Maybe it's a, a loss of someone dear to us. And our grief pulls us out of the norm for a few days to a few weeks of time. And, and we begin to come back and gain meaning again by repeating the, the uh, rituals of every day. And that may be part of what is happening with Peter and the others. They simply have gone out fishing because uh, it's something they'd always done. Now, I don't know about night fishing that much. I do know that my mom and my Aunt Elvie, that was my dad's sister, they were very close. And after they were both widowed and retired, along with a friend they had named Molly, they loved to go fishing at night. I mean, they would take my aunt's camper, pull her bass boat up to Milledgeville, to Lake Sinclair. They would hang out to dark. They'd get two lanterns, go out in a boat and fish all night, come back in, clean their fish, and go to sleep and wake up anytime. They won't do the same thing two or three days at a time, fill up their ice chest with fish, give them away that anybody would take them afterwards because they really didn't need that many. But that's what they like about fishing. And they liked it because at nighttime it wasn't hot. And you didn't have to go hunt for the fish. You hang the lantern out. They'll come to where you are. It made it a little more interesting. Now, to me, fishing, if I, didn't, if I caught anything at all, it was an improvement. I was a terrible fisherman. When we were in Honduras, uh, the place we stayed at night was on Lake uh, La Jolla. Did I say that right? Is that right? I think that's the right way of saying it. And uh, it uh, is a lake about half the size of the Sea of Galilee. It sits with a mountain backdrop to it, as does the Sea of Galilee. Its elevation is like 2,300 feet. Galilee is actually below sea level, only the Dead Sea being lower than it. 
And um, you have, uh, in that setting, people each morning as we got up, out fishing at 5 o'clock in the morning. These were not, uh, you know, like you and I might be, just on a, uh, a pleasure trip. They were fishing for a living. And they were out there at daybreak fishing the same spots because it worked for them. They didn't have big nets. They were fishing with um, spinners and poles, and, and they were busy about it. They knew how to do it, and they stayed at it uh, during the morning hours early. I loved to watch them each day. I thought about Peter and the disciples who went back fishing, how it wasn't for them a simple enjoyment of recreation but a livelihood. And they wondered as they had finished walking with Jesus and were uncertain of what was ahead, were they going back to that? And that is the backdrop of the story. Now it's important to me in the story that they fished all night and they caught nothing. That's pretty bad, you know. Imagine casting that big net over and over and each time as you begin to pull it up, you're well aware there's nothing in it because nothing is pulling back against it. And you know, you got to pull it up and throw it again. And they've done it all night long caught absolutely nothing. What began as a relaxing time became a work event, and they were finding the strain probably refreshing itself, but still the defeat of catching nothing all night weighed on them. Wouldn't you, I mean, fish all night? Now I know some people who go fishing who really like to catch and release or really don't even care if they catch. They just want to be out there, you know. Maybe you're that kind. I just well been. That's the way I was most of the time anyway when it comes to fishing. But these people were used to catching when they went. They knew that lake. They knew where the fish would be. They knew the water well enough to catch certain fish at certain times. That was familiar as a trade to them. But now they were without fish. I love that part of the story because there's a sense of lowness about the moment. Daylight is breaking. They're ready to come in probably not more than 100 yards off from the shoreline, and they hear a voice. Someone says to them, tell you what, you, did you catch anything at all? No, they said. It's a great story because that voice, unknown to who it is, says to them, well, throw it out on the right side of the boat. I mean, they've been thrown on the wrong side all along. You're throwing the right side. But what is the wrong side? Now, in the telling of the story, of course, it's more than just about fish because what they've done in the way the story is told us all night, they've given their best. They may have used both sides of the boat as the night went through. But he saw them casting on one side as he called out. It was their best effort is what it was. It was all they by themselves could muster and do. It can be us. It can be just like us. We can go through the hardest point of life and think, well, I'll give it my best, and what do I do when my best doesn't produce? It's really all I have, and that's where they were. In that moment, of course, he said, throw it on the right side. Now, I don't know how you might have felt sitting in the boat. These guys were knowledgeable fishermen. They had thrown that net all night. They'd gotten nothing for it. Maybe they already had it you know, kind of ready to bring the boat in. We don't know. And your first thought might be, what do he think he is anyway? He's not even out here. He's standing on the shore. How does he know where the fish are? He can't see anything. What would make them throw it out again on the other side? Now, fishermen, 
I think sort of like farmers, if you do it, you're eternally optimistic about, you know, it might be on the next cast that I get that big one. And if I didn't catch anything, it's all night. It's still a successful one if I do it. So maybe, just maybe that's part of what made them cast it out on the other side. It is an expression of hope. And maybe even though they didn't recognize the voice at first, it's something of faith however small it was in that moment. Maybe we're there at times. We felt the defeat, the uncertainty, and, and that voice seems so small when God calls us to live in a different way, to do a different thing. When they told us in Honduras we'd be doing a different way, remember flexibility is right at the heart of doing mission work anywhere, and, and we said, well, okay, whatever the Lord wants, we're willing to do, and and the first day we went to uh, a church and they would had a hard time communicating with the pastor. It's kind of hard to do that well up there and let him know about five days earlier the plans, but never could get them confirmed. So we went up to the church really not sure if the, if the message had gotten through or the pastor had done anything. And we drove up, the church was packed. Children were everywhere and God blessed that moment both for them and for us, and we're thankful to be a part of that. Sometimes you just have to throw out the net the other way. A little bit or a lot of how faith it is is enough. It's somewhere in this worship service. I think there's always someone present who's gone through a moment when they've stressed at their best and somewhere it seems to have failed. Whether it's been in the past or it's in the present, or not so far in the future for us, where do we find hope? Maybe as they were out on the lake, they, they smell that fish smell, that uh, beauty of the day as it dawned, and they enjoyed being out there catching fish or not. But still, it was not enough. They yearned to have more. And they knew that if they paid attention, if they heard that voice, in our story, it says that John, actually it says, the beloved disciple, uh, recognized the voice. It is Jesus. And Peter then puts his clothes back on. That's a different story, okay? Puts his clothes back on, jumps into the water, and swims to shore even as the net is full of fish. Now, that's quite a fish story to me. They got fishermen who's got as many fish as his net will hold, and what does he do? He jumps in the water and swims to shore. Something happened to Peter that day. The fish just didn't mean as much. To read on in the story, you'll find that even counted the fish, there were 153 fish. I thought to myself, now why did they tell you in the Bible how many fish there would be? Maybe because in about two years when the disciples are telling the story, someone's going to say there was at least a thousand fish in that net. And he just knew you had to keep it within the realm. It might really be true. They counted the fish. And it was a large number as fish go in their boat in time. And they felt blessed that God had done that for them. Dragging it finally to shore was what happened. As the story continues, you find that uh, it is a matching of something that's always needed for the church to really be a church. There has to be need and there has to be Jesus. When you have those two together, 
you can have a church. You can have all kinds of labels, all kinds of buildings and places, no matter our culture, language, or background. When you put those together, you can have a church. And it's sure, Jesus knew their success would come because already he had prepared breakfast. He had the fire going. He already had some bread and fish prepared and said, bring some of yours. And they ate breakfast together that day. It is a blessing. When God puts his hand on us in the times that seem most uncertain, where our hope seems to dim, we're not so sure about ourselves or what God may do, and yet he does it in abundance, for it is him. Having our eyes on him allows us to do more than ever. He knows what his love is like. He doesn't give up on us or turn away from us. We are the church. We respond with needs in the grace that God has given to us. That's the difference that we find. What kind of world do you and I hope for? We think about teams that go out and we minister in Christ's name. And we're out there, we're saying as a team, sharing our devotionals, we really want to be this way when we come back home too. Not just in a foreign land, not just in a special place, but right here where we are. Knowing that God has a purpose and a plan and we can be a part of it. Whether it's a mission trip, as we shared when training yesterday for Family Promise, a brand new ministry in our community, of which we are part to help homeless families, comes online. That it is a ministry and a mission where needs and Jesus come together. And when you do that, you have a church. And that's what we can be for him. They would have been filled with despair until Jesus came along and gave them hope again. In hope, life changes. We have faith that God can and will work in the world around us, even if the moment is most difficult. I want you to be in prayer for those around us today who are going through trying times, maybe for our family or our church family, our community or nation Listen to the news. You should be able always to find someone or someones for whom we can pray. Ask that the church, that is the combination of need, and those who speak in Jesus' name would come together. And there, great ministry can happen. That's what he teaches us. The preciousness of the gift he's already given and he never will take away. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you give us hands and a heart, and that is a part of our journey as Christians today in this world. Help us to be hopeful, especially in times that seem most difficult, whether that's personal, in our community, or through the news and what it tells us. To know, Lord, your hand is the greatest of all. We pray for the peace that comes in following you, and open us here and now to be your people. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.